0: Hi, I'm Lisa Weaver. Welcome to Healing Jephthah's Daughters, the podcast. In today's episode, we tell the story of Jephthah's daughter in full. If you want to follow along, turn to Judges 11 in your Bible or your Bible app and join me when you're ready. Reverend Dr. Katie Geneva Cannon of Blessed Memory is the first African-American woman to be ordained in the Presbyterian Church, USA. And she is a renowned womanist ethicist. And her scholarship has informed and helped women read and interrogate stories, their own stories. And she's provided models and methodologies for liberative practices of womanist theology. Katie Geneva Cannon said something in a lecture, and she talked about being free of the oppressive structures and theologies that formed her in the church. And that was a lightning bolt moment. Now listen to some wisdom of the Reverend Dr. Katie Geneva
1: Cannon. Now the story I'd like to share with you this evening bears witness to the faith of my mother's. This story validates the testimonies of the confidence, the convictions, and the allegiance of my maternal great-grandmother, my maternal grandmother, and my mother. How these three generations of women taught me how to rock steady in the blessed assurance of God Almighty. While I was in the process of finishing graduate coursework in a doctoral program at Union Theological Seminary in New York City, I enrolled in a seminar with a world-renowned white male biblical scholar. This man ran it, raged, and delivered a scolding diatribe in his critique of my final paper. He screamed, How dare you write a paper that causes me to feel? <laughs> there should be no sensation, no tiliation, no stimulation when I read your work. I sat in his office utterly dumbfounded by his berated assessment of my work. i had proven competence at the most demanding level in all my other courses. Therefore, I knew my paper was academically solid. From beginning to end, I demonstrated competency in mastering the stated norms in biblical criticism. I exceeded the benchmark criteria for textual criticism, source criticism, grammatic criticism, redactive criticism, (laughs) so forth and so on. I knew I had written a first-rate exegetical paper, a revelatory narrative that was full of intense, deep down, heartwarming, soulful vibrations. My research was a genuine enfleshment of womanist themes. What I mean by this is that as, as an African-American female scholar, I am consciously present as an embodied person each and every time I engage in the complicated work of translating, reading, and analyzing texts. So I struggle to understand the relationship between embodied, mediated knowledge and failure, knowing that woman's work is cognitive; it is intuitive, and womanism is a legitimate academic enterprise that changes the index in theologic education. Why did this professor evaluate my work with such disdain and dismissal?
0: In the introduction to her book, Katie's Canon, the Reverend Dr. Cannon writes The chief function of womanism is not merely to replace one set of elitist, hegemonic texts that have traditionally ignored, dismissed, or flat out misunderstood the existential realities of women of the African diaspora with another set of Afrocentric texts that had gotten short shrift and pushed to the margins of learned society. Rather, our objective is to use Walker's, Alice Walker's, four-part definition as a critical methodological framework for challenging inherited traditions for their collusion with androcentric patriarchy, as well as a catalyst in overcoming situations through
1: revolutionary acts of rebellion. A renowned historian, Dr. Charles Long, argues that enslaved women and men and children who were branded like cattle were company mobs who were shackled in dungeons of slave castles and who were crammed into the bottom of poorly ventilated ships with their face pat, pressed to the backs of those chained in front of them in the transatlantic journey, we had to learn how to think with our bodies in the midst of devastating terror, horror, and brutality. Historic records tell us that the treatment on the slave ships was so harsh and the conditions were so horrendous that one out of every eight Africans died during the journey. There are estimates and guesstimates that somewhere between 6 million to 60 million Africans are buried in the watery graves of the Atlantic. The biblical scholar concluded his high decimal tongue lashing with the comment, I should be able to read your paper and not feel anything. More specifically, writing my paper in the language of embodied academies, that is, by writing in an analytical style, concretizing race, gender, and social class, the professor may have experienced my words as sharp blades flaying open, repressed, compressed, depressed feelings of his unacknowledged fire and fervor. In turn, this notable scholar concluded his tirade of condemnation by saying, my exposition was an abomination because my paper provoked and courage aroused too much combustible feelings. My paper was so bad, he said he couldn't even flunk it. Now, you know that's very bad. (laughs) In accordance with this Reverend Doctor's professional persona, he said he did not want to waste any more of his time, not even to write the letter F on my paper.
0: And just like Reverend Dr. Katie Geneva Cannon cracked open my own agency to interrogate my story, interrogate my childhood, I hope that our conversations help you to lean into your own agency and interrogate everything that you think might be an impediment to your own wholeness, your own healing. I hope you can lean into the agency to interrogate your own story. And so, the way that we will approach the Judges 11 text is informed by this womanist approach, which is why we are beginning our journey with verse 34 with the daughter. Because she is the center of our work, not her father, and not ours. Humans are messy, and messy is not a bad thing. People bring their history to relationships to work messy becomes complicated when there is pain when there is trauma if relationships are struggling if marriages are struggling parent-child relationships are struggling if there is tension on jobs it complicates one's internal clarity makes life more messy is a pandemic We are living in a politically charged context. White supremacy is more prevalent on news medias and feeds. Life is messy. And sometimes when we are trying to be still and be quiet and to focus, all of these voices, all of this information, all of this news, all of this noise makes it so hard to hear, to be still and know that I am God. And so to do healing work in this context can sometimes be really hard because there's so much noise On edge as the fate of Derek Chauvin is about to be in the hands of the jury after three weeks of a trial that has gripped the country. Nearly one year ago, George Floyd's death renewed difficult conversations in the Breonna Taylor case which has been sparking protests across the country. A new ballistics report has come to light just as the officer charged in the case faces a judge sending out
2: a warning tonight to stay on alert after two violent crimes both crimes involving transgender women found shot and killed in hotel
0: rooms
1: across Don't Charlotte be satisfied unless we get justice
0: Carolyn writes that power consists to a large extent in deciding what stories will be told so today It is the day after the verdict, and we are grateful even as we still grieve the life and legacy of George Floyd. May we always remember his life and legacy, and we can do that because a young black woman, Darnella Frazier, with intuitive womanish wisdom, pulled out her phone to ensure that the true story was told. Telling stories narrates events describes what happened. Telling stories also gives us insight into people, their character, their motivations, their flaws. Telling stories gives people a window through which to see into the lives of other people and families and situations. So stories give us a safe place to begin to engage our stuff. Because it's hard to begin a healing journey saying, well, let me start this journey by pulling up all my pain and my own flaws and looking at it. Well, no. While some begin the journey that way, many others have to ease into the healing journey. And it is often easier to enter your own story through the door of someone else's. So, in beginning our journey, we are telling the story differently. The daughter story is the anchor that will ground our journey. Women have different ways of viewing the world and women also have different ways of being in the world. Women are often told to accept things as is. That's just the way it is. Women are also often taught not to question. We're telling the story differently in order to gain insights into who we are, and to gain insights into the relationship between how we were raised, the beliefs and behavioral patterns that we have inculcated and inherited, and who we are now. In telling your own story, you begin to use your own voice and not have someone speak for you. Telling your own story means that you no longer keep secrets from yourself first and then others judiciously. Telling your own story means that there is not a version of the story of you that is told that is not consistent with your own experience. And so we will journey through this text slowly. Lexio Divina is an ancient method for reading scriptural text, it engages text slowly and deliberately. And it invites its reader to ruminate as a cow chews on cud to just sit with and ruminate over a text, to let a piece of text wash over them. It is an ancient practice wherein one reads text in as open a posture as one can mentally, spiritually, removing all things from their mind so that the spirit can speak, that God's voice can come up. First, before you even come to the story. Optimally, it'd be great if you can be in a place and a posture and a position. And I say posture and position because I make the distinction between a physical position and an interior posture. Cozy up in your favorite reading chair, on your sofa, maybe it's your bed. Get in your comfortable position, quiet yourself and as much as possible, just remove every thought from your head. Any distractions, task lists, to-do lists, and just be open to God's spirit. And listen for the words, phrases for how the story moves and unfolds. Listen for any connections that you might be able to draw from things that you hear and listen for what comes up for you. What is God saying? Let the text and the spirit speak. Judges 11. Now, Jephthah the the Gileadite, the The son son of a a prostitute,
2: prostitute was a mighty warrior. Gilead was the father of Jephthah. Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah away, saying to him, You shall not inherit anything in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. Outlaws collected around Jephthah and went raiding with him. After a time, the Ammonites made war against against Israel. Israel.
0: And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. They said to Jephthah, Come and be our commander, so that we may fight with the Ammonites. But But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Are you not the
2: very ones who rejected me and drove me out of my father's house? So why do you come to me now when you are in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, Nevertheless, we have now turned back to you, so that you may go with us and fight with the Ammonites, and become head over us, over all the inhabitants of Gilead.
0: Jephthah said to the elders of
2: Gilead, If you bring me home again to fight with the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord will be witness between us. We will surely do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them.
0: And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mizpah. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh. He passed on to Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he passed on to the Ammonites.
2: And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whoever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return victorious from the Ammonites, shall be the Lord's, to be offered up by me as a burnt offering. So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. He
0: inflicted a massive defeat on them from Arior to the neighborhood of Mineth, 20 towns and as far as Abel-Karamim. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. Then Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah.
2: And there was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and with dancing. She was his only child. He had no son or daughter except her. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You have become the cause of great trouble to me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. She said to him, My father, if you have opened your mouth to the Lord, do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, now that the Lord has given you vengeance against your enemies, the Ammonites. And she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Grant me two months, so that I may go and wander on the mountains. Go, he said, and sent her away for two months. So she departed, she and her companions, and bewailed
0: her virginity on the mountains.
2: At the end of two months, she returned to her father, who did with her according to the vow he had made.
0: made. She had never slept with a man. So there arose an Israelite custom that for four days every year, the daughters of Israel would go out to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite. Jephthah's daughter is a fascinating, textured character. People might think, Her story is so short, we only know her in a few verses. But in the context of the larger story, I think she's fascinating for a few reasons. Number one, she is the only woman in Jephthah's life who has the chutzpah to say anything to him. And the fact that the mother and the stepmother slash father's wife are not given language is significant. Because it creates, in the mind of the reader, a particular kind of way that Jephthah is formed and grows up to think about women. The first woman in the text to not only speak to him, but to push back a bit, is his daughter. Number two, because she does not argue for her own life, but rather upholds the father's vow. Now we'll unpack that because there's a whole lot there, but she doesn't ask him to defend her, ask him, can you go back and ask God? She doesn't. She said, I need a minute from where I sit. I feel like you a brand new fool because I have to die because you opened your mouth to the Lord. Give me a minute. It's the least you can do. So she negotiates, just as her father did. He negotiated his position. She negotiates a respite. Give me two months. I'll be back. And number three, she had the womanish wisdom to go find her girlfriends. Y'all, I need some help. Look, I got two months. Let's go hang out. She chose, presumably from the best of the options she thought she had, to spend it in community with her girlfriends. If we use our literary imaginations, it's like sitting in your living room with a bunch of your girlfriends and y'all have gathered because one of you all is in crisis. And you know, if you've got a room full of eight girlfriends, y'all gonna have eight different perspectives. You know, somebody's going to be like, girl, you ain't got to put up with that. Girl, don't
2: even go back home.
0: I understand what you're going through. Your daddy,
2: petty. are you sure this is your daddy? I know that you're you're trying to please your dad.
0: Have you thought about
2: running away as opposed to going back home He's
0: created you and wants you to live then you can
2: serve god without being a burnt offering are, are you good with sacrificing your entire life for something that your father did without your knowledge mm-hmm. or permission or just staying here in the mountains remaining here do you think that they would come and find you and i know that you are very religious Young lady. Like, let's just ride out. We'll find somewhere else to go. I'm being punked right
1: now. You're lying. Where let's are we? Let's find a way of getting out. So, let's ride
2: out. Like, don't even go. Oh, are you
1: ready to die? Let's pray about it. Because if it's God's will, it'll be all good anyway. Says
0: who? He's going to kill her. What is the conversation that girlfriends have at critical junctures in other girlfriends' lives? And ultimately, the decision belongs to the girlfriend who's in the crisis. Everybody's not going to co sign on the girlfriend's decision, is the bottom line. And sometimes she's not going to take your advice. Sometimes you're not going to take your girlfriend's advice. And sometimes we will have to watch our girlfriends or ourselves knowingly walk back into situations that we know are not good for us because we can't imagine an alternative that is healthy, makes us whole, and is good for everybody involved. We can't see it. And so we go back thinking we have no options.
2: I mean, to me, it's it's a daughter that just tried to be the best daughter that she could and got caught in a situation that was really beyond her control. Um... And I think the father, you know, didn't consider custom and didn't consider, you know, how things normally go when they come back for battle. So come back from battle. Um, And he he didn't consider his daughter in his promise to the Lord. It's pretty heartbreaking because I think we see a lot of times parents kind of sacrifice their kids on the altar of, you know, getting what they want or what they need in a certain time period.
0: Now I'm going to tell you the story. There was a man named Jephthah who was a Gileadite. And his mother was a sex worker. Though he was a mighty warrior of great renown, he was the son of a sex worker. And his father's name was Gilead. Now, we don't know where this sex worker enters Gilead's life because we next learn that Gilead's wife, who is not the sex worker, also bore him sons. And so... Jephthah has some half-brothers, but when the wife's sons grew up, when his half-brothers grew up, they drove Jephthah out of the house. So at some point, Gilead goes to get his son Jephthah from his sex worker mother and brings him Into his home with his wife. We don't know how, under what circumstances, how old Jephthah was when Gilead goes to get Jephthah. We don't know if the sex worker surrendered him willingly. Was there a fight? We don't know. But Jephthah comes to live in this blended family with the father and the father's wife and their other children. Jephthah's mother, we don't know if she puts up a fight. She, she has no language. She doesn't even have a name. And he goes into a house with another woman who is unnamed and neither of these women speak for him. His own father doesn't even speak for him. These half brothers, concerned about their inheritance, concerned about what they are going to get when their parents die. Say to him, you're not going to inherit anything from our father's house because you are the son of some other woman. And so they kick him out of the house. Gilead does not defend or speak up for his son. The unnamed stepmother does not speak up and defend her husband's son. So this is messy. And so Jephthah flees and some less than savory people gather around Jephthah. there is a way in which pain sees pain. Hurt identifies hurt. And in some ways they create another family for Jephthah. And after a while, some stuff happens back at home. And home now needs Jephthah. They, they put out the son of the sex worker, but now that home is in trouble, they want to call back the mighty warrior, but it didn't matter what Jephthah needed. And so they invite him and say, come be our commander. And Jephthah checks them. He said, wait a minute, y'all kick me out the house. Oh, so now you come when you in trouble? And, 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 and they're dismissive. They said, well, that, never mind that. We, we're here now. Come back and fight for us. Come back and do something for us. We actually need you now. Don't don't worry. We're not going to talk about what we did to you. We need you now to fight for us. And so Jephthah now is negotiating. If you bring me home and I win, I'm going to be your head. And so Jephthah goes and he tries to make peace with the king of the Ammonites and that is unsuccessful. And so Jephthah has to go to war. The spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. And as we read biblical texts, we know as readers that is a sign for us that the person upon whom the spirit of the Lord comes will be successful in whatever their endeavor is. But the text says that to us and it doesn't say it to Jephthah, but we know that he's going to have success. But Jephthah makes a vow and says, if you let me win, And if I win, I become the head and they can't put me out anymore. If you let me win, then whoever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return victorious, I will offer that one as a burnt offering. He makes a vow knowing that if you make a vow to the Lord according to Israelite law, one is obligated to keep it. He should know that it is a violation of Israelite law to kill children. And yet he makes this reckless vow. whoever it is, I, I'm gonna offer him up as a burnt offering. And he comes home and his only child is the one who is to come out of his door first to meet him. Alas, my daughter, you brought me low. You've become the cause of my great trouble. I've opened my mouth to the Lord and I can't take it back.
2: There's also a song, um, uh, and it says, I open my mouth to the Lord and I won't turn back. Huh? Sing it for you. Um, So the part that I know goes, I open my mouth to the Lord and I won't turn back. That's how. That part goes, <laughs> and I was like, I wonder what scripture that's rooted in, because it's like if it's this one, there's some there's some problems <laughs> with that song, yeah. So so that's so it's like what you know what what do you do with that song because while making a vow to God and not turning back from the vows that we make to God. In some aspects, I, could, I guess could be seen as beneficial, but in the context of this story, you know, the vow is problematic. So then what do we do with things that we vow to God that are not, that are just problems, <laughs> um, becomes the question.
0: He now indicts the daughter for doing what she was supposed to do, for doing What is the custom for doing what is expected for being the dutiful, good, obedient child who does what the custom requires? She celebrates her warrior father and he says to her, you brought me low. You've become the cause of trouble for me, but I've opened my mouth to the Lord and I cannot take back my vow. Seriously, you're not even going to negotiate not killing me? She is the only woman in Jephthah's story who has gumption, as Katie Geneva Cannon and, and the elders would say, she is the only woman in Jephthah's life who has the courage to speak to him. She has voice. Well, if you've opened your mouth to the Lord, do what you said you're going to do. But, but, but hit pause on that. Give me two months because I need to really grieve the fact that I am not going to be able to live to my full potential. I am not going to be able to grow up and to date and go to school and pick a career and decide what I want to do with my life and travel and hang out. Since you made this vow that you are unwilling to negotiate with God and go back and save my life, give me two months. It's the least you can do. And with a word, he dismisses her and says, go, go, go. And at the end of two months, she goes back to a sure and articulated fate. She knows she is going to die. Clearly, Jephthah has not changed his mind because the Bible reads, he did with her according to the vow he made. And so, every year, the daughters of Israel would go out and lament their dead girlfriend. The daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite. That's a tough story. But let that story... Marinade. let the questions emerge what does it mean to grow up in an environment in which you are not safe emotionally psychologically physically what does it mean to watch your good girlfriend participate in her own pain and you can't stop her there's so many questions this text will raise for us and we will unpack them all slowly carefully We will laugh when we can, because God knows this is a heavy text, but we're going to take our time. Next week, we will be joined by Professor Yolanda Norton, who is a professor of Hebrew Bible and also the founder and curator of the Beyonce Mass. And she will bring her expertise as a Hebrew Bible scholar to help us look at the text from a womanist perspective. And we will also be joined by the Reverend Dr. Zoleika Adams, who serves as assistant pastor of Mount Carmel Baptist Church in the Bronx and who is also a trained clinician. In the meantime, take good care of yourself. Start doing your own inventories of your stories and your wounded places. Until next time, my prayer for you today and always is freedom, healing and
1: wholeness. Equipping me with both will and skill to push against isolation, alienation, and extermination are the faith testimonies I inherited from my great-grandmother. My great-grandmother, Mary Nance Leiter, was born in 1832 and died on July 8, 1930 in Mecklenburg County in North Carolina. My great grandmother's parents and grandparents were among the millions of Africans enslaved in the Americas. By all accounts, my enslaved kinfolk were classified as non persons. My great grandmother Mary Nance and all the family members who preceded her. They knew their worldview and their understanding of God had to be different from the Europeans from maritime Christian countries who were running slave ships. My great-grandmother knew that the enslaved and the enslaver cannot serve the same God.
0: Healing Jephthah's Daughters is part of the
2: Theolab Media Podcast Network. Theolab is a collective of humans committed to a more candid dialogue about spirituality, culture, and the world. Visit theolabmedia.com to learn more. Today's episode was produced, engineered, and edited by Brandon Maxwell, with technical assistance from Katie Riggs.